Everyone faces challenges every single day. Some are chosen and bring us joy. Some are given to us and bring struggle or pain. Whether the diagnosis of an illness, the news of a friend's death, the loss of a job, or a bike accident, we may be asked to step up to face issues that demand courage and perseverance. Hurt is just one of the many aspects of full lives. Each week on this show, ACT, Taking Hurt to Hope, Dr. Joanne Dahl helps us understand how we can use acceptance and commitment therapy to learn to accept what we cannot change and move forward into a valued life. Now, here's your host, Dr. Joanne Dahl. Welcome to ACT, Taking Hurt to Hope. Join us today for a discussion about what I personally think is the most difficult, the most painful, as well as the greatest source of joy in my life, parenting children. Parenting is for sure stressful, and there's no way of getting around that. And since we don't like stress, we all have the tendency to avoid. One of the major ways that parents avoid stress when dealing with children is to try to control the emotional reactions of the child. And this move of avoidance gets us into all kinds of trouble. Our guests today are Dr. G.J. Moran, the Executive Director of the Mid-American Psychological Institute in Chicago, and Dr. Melissa Rowland, Clinical Fellow at the Mid-American Psychological Institute. DJ is the co-author of Act in Practice. This is a book about case conceptualization in acceptance and commitment therapy. He's also a recognized Act trainer. He's on the board of directors of the Association for Contextual Behavior Science. He and Melissa have been working together on Act-based projects since 2009. And one of the most important topics they have teamed up on are parent training and helping parents to deal with stress. You can find more about DJ's book and about him uh, by clicking on his name on this week's program on webtalkradio.net. And also as well, uh, Melissa Rowland as well. Just click on her name and you can find her homepage. Um So, remember that ACT can be summed up in three parts. Opening up to private experiences like thoughts and feelings, sensations. Becoming aware of what those experiences are. Seeing thoughts as thoughts and feelings as feelings. And moving into valued action. So today we're going to hear from DJ and Melissa about how parents can make use of ACT principles to go from the stress and hurt of parenting to the hope and joy. Welcome, Melissa and DJ. Thanks for having us. Yes, thank you. Yeah, it's really an honor and a pleasure for both of us to be on the show. Well, that sounds good. I know you are uh, in the United States right now. How is the weather there? Oh, well, it's getting close to Christmas time in Chicago, so it's uh, getting chilly, but we haven't gotten too much snow yet. Thank goodness. <laughs> okay. Well, we have about 20 below and about a meter of snow here in Sweden. 
Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah, wow. That's pretty impressive. Well, you're going to have a white Christmas there if you celebrate. Yeah. You know, DJ and Melissa, our listeners are always interested in, in, the, in the people behind the researchers and the clinicians. What got you both interested in parent training? I guess my interest started when I was working in a community mental health center, and I came into contact with a lot of parents that were struggling with um, children with behavior problems, and they just had a lot of struggles with trying to find new punishments for them, and and it was it was interesting trying to find new ways, basically, to help them figure out a, a different way to parent instead of focusing only on punishment. Yeah, uh, Melissa and I worked together at a place called the Family Counseling Center, so that's where we you know started uh, partnering together. But I've always been interested in working with children and teens, mm-hmm. uh, especially especially teens, because it's such a hard time. Uh, mm-hmm. I- and uh, my own adolescent years were filled with chaos and conflict. And, and so, you know, when I moved forward in a profession, I wanted to work as a school psychologist. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I worked outside, right outside New York City for a few years as a school psychologist, mostly mm-hmm. working with high school kids. And I love that work. But mm-hmm. I came back to one major realization. Mm-hmm. So much of the teenagers' problems could be changed and helped if the parents were just more involved. Now, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Joanne, I'm not blaming parents for the children's problems. Some of the kids struggled because they came from abusive and neglectful households, to be mm-hmm. sure, but not all of them did. But what I found important it, that it was when the parents showed care and involvement, and I might add, when they showed a willingness to commit to helping their child. Mm-hmm. That's when I saw the most improvement. So I became interested in becoming a parent coach. At that mm-hmm. point as well. Okay, so let me let me ask you, Melissa, first about what you said about the punishment. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is something that uh, most of us like don't like to think that we actually do. Is it quite common that uh, that's what people, that's what parents use as punishment? I think so. I think that a lot of families or a lot of parents resort to things like yelling or spanking or or things like that, and, and they're obviously not always helpful in every situation. Some parents think that they're helpful, um, but then they get into that cycle of punishment where then their children start to resent them and, and start acting up even more, and so it becomes more of the problem than the child's original behavior. And so I, I think that it just becomes something that they resort to because they don't know what else to do. Okay. Well, because don't we know from research that punishment doesn't work? <laughs> well, what we know about punishment is, is, is it will cease the problematic behavior in the short run, mm. but in the long run, it's problematic in a number of different ways. Yeah. What, what, like, why? Well, one-way punishment is a problem is because it's also correlated with uh, emotional reactions that would probably put the person who's the punishing agent, the, the parent, in a bad light. The person doesn't want to be around the parent who punishes very often. Mm-hmm. And punishment doesn't actually stop the behavior from happening. It stops the behavior from happening in situations where they will get caught. Mm-hmm. So if you catch a kid smoking cigarettes... He doesn't stop smoking cigarettes. He stops smoking them in places where you will see him or catch him. Mm-hmm. Mm. Punishment is not a typically effective way of parenting. It can squash behaviors in the short term. But in the long term, what we want to do is form relationships, 
rewarding, interpersonal, helpful relationships. We want to catch kids being good. We want yeah. to, as a consequence of us seeing them doing the right thing, mm. we want to give our attention then, not withhold attention constantly so the kid isn't interacting with us until we see him some, doing something wrong and then we strike. That is such a, that's the almost antithesis of, of what parenting is. Okay, so so this is a general problem then when you would say that that uh, the attention is going towards the bad behavior rather than the good behavior. Absolutely. Yeah, that that's one of the main major concerns is you don't want as a parent to just follow up on on having a kid doing something wrong. Your follow up shouldn't immediately just be punishment, and that's it. There needs to be a relationship where. The parent is actually doing a lot of rewarding, a lot of positive feedback for whenever the kid is doing the right thing. That's essentially what we're aiming for here. Yeah. Well, are you both of you parents? I know you are, GJ. I am. I have a 13-year-old daughter and a 12-year-old son. How about you, Melissa? No, I'm, I'm not actually, but I did. I have spent a lot of time around children um, over the last 15 years or so. I've been, I was a nanny for quite some time, and so I, I tended to use a lot of this stuff even before I knew what it was. <laughs> yeah, so. yeah. Well, I wonder, it, DJ, you as a parent, um, maybe you could answer, why is this so difficult? Well, I, I imagine there's a number of reasons why parents move right towards punishment. Number one, it could be just learning. I mean, that's, you know, the way a lot of parents have done it throughout the years, the whole idea of, um, you know, spare the rod, spoil the child kind of idea has been in the culture for a long period of time, and and that gets passed on for for a long time. Another one is that, you know, it does work. I, I, I don't want anybody to misinterpret. Lots of things work in the short term, but it makes it problematic in the long term. Punishment might make a kid stop, mm-hmm. like throwing a tantrum or beating up on his little brother, but it doesn't help the kid gain any new skills. It doesn't help them become more interpersonally um, um, strong. It doesn't help them learn how to cooperate with the little brother or sister. Mm-hmm. But it does stop them from doing the behavior that the parent doesn't like. So punishment works, and so the parent says, oh, it worked. I'll just keep doing that. But there's another part, especially since you asked about, you know, me as a parent. Yeah. So there's a lot of times where I think I would like to simply accept what my children are doing and 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 not strike right away. You know, I don't mean physically strike, but I mean just intervene right away when I see them doing something wrong. Because, I mean, personally speaking, only for myself, you know, I was reared in an environment of a lot of chaos and conflict Mm. and and really missing out on a a lot of resources that that some parents might need to provide. But I've given them to my kids. I've never struck my kids, hardly ever any real grounding or punishment. They Mm. have a fantastic mother. They have all the resources that they've ever needed. We've taken very good care of them. And when they do something wrong, when they don't listen, I immediately have this anger, this frustration. Mm. That, that puts me into, you know, some kind of angry or aggressive impulse to say, you know, you have to listen to me. And if you don't, you're in big trouble. And, you know, you feel those mm-hmm. urges to mm-hmm. do something negative. Mm-hmm. And other parents are probably struggling with the same thing. You know, I'm saying to myself, you guys don't even have, you guys have it a bazillion times better than I did. How dare you not clean your room? How yeah. dare you 
Yeah. You not follow through on what I have to say. And I've been fortunate. I've been fortunate because, you know, I've gone through a lot of this act stuff and I've applied it to myself and I'm learning and have learned that just accepting that, that inner urge, that frustration, that anger, and just letting it be there without trying to get rid of it or respond to it. Mm-hmm. Just noticing my thoughts, gosh, darn it. You know, these kids, they're ungrateful and they're not listening to me and I'm going to show them. And you just notice, wow, there's my, there's my, you know, voice again. You know, it sounds a lot like my parents' voices yeah. and I don't have to listen to them. I can essentially say, well, what do I really want my life to be about as a parent? I mean, yeah. what are my values when it comes to parenting? I want to raise my children to live full, abundant, flexible lives. And so why do something aversive to them? Why strike? Why punish just because my mind tells me I should, because I have urge. How about yeah. I just allow myself to have that anger, notice that I'm having those thoughts, but commit to doing the types of important, positive parenting actions because of what I value in my life. Yeah. Uh, you know, we talk about values, DJ, and I don't mean to leave you out, Melissa. I, w- I just wanted to make a comment to DJ um, that, uh, one of the reasons I asked you that, DJ, is because I watched you suffer when we were working together in Africa. Yeah. And um, I, if you remember that the first day we met there, uh, you were suffering, and I asked you, um, what's what's wrong? And you didn't tell me, and I said, well, is it something important? And you said no. And, um, and then eventually you told me that you had your daughter had given you her teddy bear yeah. to take with you, and you had lost it. Yes. <laughs> and and you were suffering and didn't um want to say it out loud because you, maybe you thought it sounded silly but it uh, because we were among you know in in impoverished people in Africa and I th- I thought that to me that was a, a wonderful picture of you of the 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 pain that parents suffer because um they children are so important to us. Right. And oh, and and that's what makes it so difficult. Yeah, I mean, it's upsetting just to to think about that story now. You know, it's a, it was her special heart bear. She had a twin of that bear at home, and I was supposed to take care of this one. And uh, you know, something something just happened, and I I couldn't find it. And here I am in Africa, and I couldn't do anything about it. But you know, it changes the subject just a little bit. But I was there to do something <laughs> with you and and do something impactful for the mental health over there. So I I tried not to let it overwhelm me, but. But it did. It did have an impact on my <laughs> <That's for> sure. <laughs> I thought it was a very touching thing to see. I know the people that our listeners can't see you, DJ, but you're a big, muscular guy, and it was really, really cute to see you so upset, calling London about the teddy bear. And I know the <laughs> the people there told you that yes, they were feeding the teddy bear and taking care of it when they found it. <laughs> yes, yes, it uh, it was quite an ordeal. But I love my kids so much that uh, sometimes you know, and I think this is true for all the parents listening. You know, it's it's hard for you not to, at times, have your world focused on them, sometimes to the point where you're not even paying attention to some of the other things that you're doing. Um, but, but parenting is that important to us. It, it is so many ways, you know, a vital behavior, vital subject, a vital you know, purpose of our life. And for so many of us is, is, to, is to make sure that our sons and daughters are living, you know, a life that we can, we can shape for them to be positive and helpful for them. 
Yeah. So let me t- tell me, um, Melissa, how common is it that parents need help? I think it's it's more common than people might think, um, especially when parents. I think DJ even just mentioned parents have a lot of other stuff going on in their lives. They have their own stresses even outside of parenting. And so then if, if the struggles extend beyond like work or other things, it can affect your job as a parent and and how you perform that job. And so I think it is definitely a lot more common than people think. Mm -hmm. What, what types of uh, problems do, do parents look for help, seek help for? Well, I think there, there's two sides to the, you know, problem coin. Some parents are struggling with, what do I do with my with my kid? I don't know what to do. And some parents are struggling with their emotions that come along with it. Um, you know, their own frustrations, their own feelings of inadequacy. So, so let's take a look at the first one. I mean, you know, parents sometimes don't know what to do when a problem arises with their child. Let's face it, kids don't come with instruction manuals. So to get training from a professional or you know a, a behavioral therapist is absolutely nothing to be ashamed of. There are really good things that we can teach parents who are struggling. Mm-hmm. And then the second part is, you know, what is the parent dealing with, and how can we help them use an act to to deal with some emotions that that, that they're struggling with, some thoughts. Some, some changes in their identity, um, mm. how concretized they can be and, and how they must be a good parent or how the child must listen to them. Mm. Um, some, some parents are, are new to being parents and they, and they might not have even um, chosen to become a parent. Sometimes you, it's a surprise to you. Um, there's struggles with being a single mom. And those are questions where we might have to clarify values together as mm. a team. Mm. So those are some things that we sometimes see as well. Mm. Mm. So um, what, what about this about emotional control? Are, is, um, you know, you've mentioned that several times about the, ch- trying to con- the parents trying to control themselves and the emotions of the children. Right. Understood. Yeah. I think that the, the culture at large almost has a concern with emotional control. I, I think that, you know, we, we get this message generation after generation, society to society, that we should be able to control our emotions. And I think there's a lot um, unhelpful about emotional control. I mean, you, you can see it, just talking about kids and parenting, you can see how early parents teach emotional control just by watching a child's life, before the kid is born, all right, ask a pregnant woman. Go up to a pregnant woman and ask, hey, congratulations, you look great. Listen, what do you want? Do you want a boy or a girl? And if you wait for a reply, oftentimes the parent, the mom will say, oh, it doesn't matter to me if it's a boy or a girl. I just want the baby to be happy. Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. All of a sudden, this kid hasn't been born yet, but there's already some level of of emotional control. I just want them to be happy. Now, I get it. I mean, it's a lot more broader than that, but but there's already that hint that, that the child needs to be happy. Well, guess what? Your child's going to be healthier, more psychologically flexible, more value-directed in his life if he can make room for other things besides feeling happy. 
Where's the pressure to be happy already? But as the kid gets a little bit older, and he's around family, mm-hmm. he's around family. If the baby's not crying, or he's just resting or playing all by himself, mm-hmm. you know, an distant uncle or an aunt who doesn't know the child very well, hasn't seen him very much, he's not crying. So the you know the uncle says, "Oh, he's such a good baby," you know. Mm-hmm. But they say that around a kid who's crying. So you know, not showing. Any emotion, not crying, makes the baby good. But mm-hmm. my artist, when they get to be like toddlers or four or five years old, you begin to hear some of the worst emotional control parenting strategies in the world. And, mm-hmm. and one that, that I abhor. And I hear it, I still hear it all the time. If you've said it out there, forgive yourself. You've probably heard it from your parents. But it's this one, it's this parenting move. Stop crying or I'll give you something to cry about. Yeah, I should have heard that. It's <laughs> probably the most irrational thing you can say to a young child. <laughs> so much emotional control on the inside of that. I mean, if you just parse it out, what's happening is the parent sees the kid crying and doesn't like it. The parent may feel frustrated or ineffectual as a parent. So the parent says, I don't like the way I feel when you, little kid, feel the way you feel. Mm-hmm. I can't control the way I feel, so you, little kid, you better control the way you feel. <laughs> I'm going to make you feel it even more. It's just ridiculous. It's mm-hmm. such an ineffectual way. But what, what makes it even worse than just teaching that is sometimes it affects the child. Yeah. Does the child stop feeling sad? Or frustrated? Probably not. What does he do? He just gets quiet. Yeah. That's it. He controls his emotions. He mm. tamps it down. He suppresses it. He doesn't express when he's upset. And you're mm. hearing this. And you're getting this kind of influence as a young child from people you trust. If this happens over and over and over, it becomes a really fluent repertoire on the, pli- on, the, on, the, on the part of the child. I mean, we tell kids a lot to control their emotions. Mm-hmm. Some of the happiest days for a kid could be like, let's just say a little boy is playing Little League for the first day. Mm-hmm. See him there. He's got his oversized you know, uniform on and he's dragging his bat to, to home plate because he's about to get into the batter's box for his first day of Little League baseball. Yes. And on the way there, his dad can shout out from the stands, Hey, man, don't be nervous. <laughs> you know, six, seven-year-old boy, don't be nervous. So the kid gets up into the batter's box and, you know, heaves this big bat over his shoulder. And then he says to himself, all right, first thing I got to do is not be nervous. All right, try not to feel the <laughs> Stop thinking about how bad this is going to be if I strike out. Zoom, the ball goes right by. Strike one. Okay, I'm still nervous. And I gotta, I gotta, I gotta get rid of this nervousness. Strike two. Now, how is the kid not going to be nervous? He's told not to be nervous. It's not working, and it's strike two already on his first day. You know what, Dad could have yelled out something much more instructive and helpful and valuable, like mm-hmm. something like "Keep your eye on the ball," or how about "Swing for the fences, son." You know something where the kid is going to get some encouragement to do something important to that child. Something 
important to do, not to squash emotions. And so we're teaching emotional control to children. And I think it's better to teach kids committed action towards valued goals and being open to emotional events rather than perceiving emotions and thoughts as obstacles or something to get rid of. Okay, so is that the is this the um, the act conceptualization or way of approaching uh, parent training? Is it the um, that the it, the emotional control that uh, parents should uh, try to help children to feel what they're feeling and actually start to making actions? Is that the general? In in general. I'm going to be in agreement with you. I think um, as, as someone who wants to do parent training and really help out the parents, I have to admit I, I, um, I want to make parents effective. I don't necessarily try to cram, act down their throat and say, you have to raise your children the way an act therapist tells you to, but rather to incorporate the act ideas into who they are, how they parent, and how they can start to um, use the parent coaching modules. So one of the first steps would be, I mean, and I am in agreement with what you just asked, yes, we would want to see if you can have your child not have to control his or her emotions. Mm-hmm. See if a, a child can learn to be nervous before a mathematics test and not have to get rid of it. See if you, know, you, you, you can allow a child to feel worry and sadness and anger. And instead of dictating that they get rid of those feelings, teach them that you can make room for something like this. Mm-hmm. You're upset about this particular, let's say, mathematics test because partially because achievement's important to you. Isn't it, little Johnny or little Janie? Isn't, isn't doing well important to you? And since it is, then that's probably why you're nervous about it. Mm-hmm. What if you get used to being nervous? Because... When you care about things, then the outcomes are sometimes anxiety-provoking. Mm. You can get used to being nervous. What if we just made room for this kind of butterflies in the stomach, this kind of anxiety, and instead of doing things that make you get rid of it, you learn to study mm. calculations in the presence of that nervousness. Mm. And even when you're taking your mathematics test, you commit to doing the best you can. I think that that optimizes the child's behavior and the child's development. So, how about the how about the parents' nervousness? And uh, I mean, as parents, I think we we have all these ideas about the way our children should be, and we uh, we are very nervous about our children. What, what about their their the parents' nervousness? There's no question that a parent could incorporate act skills for themselves. If you have an urge for children, I'm sorry, for parents who are um, aggressive mm-hmm. uh, or abusive, you, you have that urge to hit, um, could you learn to make room for that urge, have the anger, notice the thoughts, and not necessarily do anything about it? Can you also, let's say you're not, that's not the problem, but you have a child who is throwing a lot of tantrums, and they throw tantrums mostly because you reward the kid when he wants candy or a toy at the supermarket or something like that. And every time he throws a fit, you give the child candy or his toy. And the parent coaching is to say, don't do that anymore. Don't reward tantrums. 
But what's going to happen is the kid is going to escalate. He's going to yell more. They call it a burst. You know, it's going to be this burst in this child's tantrum. It's going to happen with more frequency, more intensity. And the problem is sometimes parents go, I can't take it anymore. I, I have to give him, you know, the toy or the candy. And what you've just done is rewarded the kid's more intense tantrum. That mm -hmm. right there is where ACT can essentially become integrated into the program. Mm -hmm. What it feels like to be embarrassed at the supermarket. Can you notice your embarrassment, the urge to rescue here? Um, can you notice your thoughts are saying, oh, this is stupid advice. Why don't I just give him the candy bar and he'll stop crying? All those things kind of come together. Your thoughts of, I am a good parent. I don't let my kid cry for a long period of time. You know, yourself, when you start to kind of re-evaluate uh, what yourself is all about, then those kinds of tools, the willingness to accept your feelings, notice your thoughts, while a child is throwing a tantrum, while you're trying to put that tantrum, you know, on this planned ignoring trial, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that would be very helpful. You see, we know this, this idea that's out there. Is, is this thing called parent management training. Yeah. It's, a very, it's a very good method. It's a proven method for, for teaching parents how to parent their kids. And it has an effect on the child's behavior. Mm -hmm. The problem with it is that parents don't follow through on that. They don't, they don't dedicate themselves or commit to following through on parent management training. Why, why is that? Because, it, because it's tough. Because, mm -hmm. you know, following through on uh, a planned ignoring treatment where you're, where you're just not going to give your kid what he's throwing a tantrum for, that hurts. That's painful. I mean, it's a painful to watch your kid throw himself on the floor at the checkout aisle in the supermarket and cry his eyes out. There, there's an emotional part of that that, want, that you might want to get rid of. You don't, you don't want to see your kid in pain. I'll just give him the candy. Or it might not be all that humanistic. You might be just feeling embarrassment. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, you're like, I'm too embarrassed. There's people around here from the neighborhood, and I'm letting my kid throw a fit in front of them. I don't like that embarrassment. I know how to get rid of it. I'll just give them the candy bar. Both of those things throw the parent off of the parent management training. And so that's why we, Missy and I, in the past, at the Family Counseling Center, incorporated ACT principles into the parent management training programs. Mm, okay, so essentially that was to help them become more tolerant for their own their own emotional reactions. That is in the nail right on the head. Okay. So so uh, we need to move to another area and I was I wanted to ask you about um, you know other types of problems, other areas like uh, developmental disability um, how how can act help in these areas? For a few years, say maybe about four or five years, I used to work with um, children with autism. And I noticed a lot of pain and suffering with the parents. Um, the, uh, it's not only my observation, but there's even some research out there that says that the most stressed out parents are the parents of children uh, of autism. Mm-hmm. And it's not just because of the difficulty in communicating and the difficulty in teaching the child um, activities of daily living. 
but there's also, you know, a feeling of loss. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there's a lot more I can I can talk about, but let's just talk about that feeling of loss that a lot of parents expected a child who who is not on on the autism spectrum, who's you know developmentally typical, and so a parent isn't able to play ball or get his child on little league or get you know her uh, into a, a soccer program or into a mainstream school. There's a feeling of loss. And Joanne, there's, there, if you get even a little bit deeper, there's there's actually, um, in my past practice, working with these parents, and in addition, some research on the idea that some parents really think of some pretty negative thoughts. You know, they, ha- they have a lot of, of thoughts about, you know, what if my child weren't born this way? What mm-hmm. if my child died? What if... I didn't have this kid. What if I just ran away from this family? It's taking up so much of my life and I didn't really expect it to go this way. Mm. And I want to normalize that essentially for the parents that I've treated, not only because I know that they've polled parents and have found this is actually somewhat common, but of course we're going to think that kind of thing. Mm. We're always looking to problem solve. That's what our mind does. And sometimes mind just generates solutions for our problems. You don't have to follow through on them. But here's the catch, Joanne. Sometimes those parents denigrate themselves for having thought that. Mm. You know, you can just have this thought that, you know, I wish I didn't have this child because you've been driven crazy all week with his tantrums and his inability to communicate and how much you have to take care of him. And then that thought pops in your head. That could be very anxiety producing. It could Mm. be very for parents. And what we want to do with ACT is just normalize the fact that the mind will pop up with some thoughts that aren't really going to resonate with you. And just because it does, doesn't mean you hate your child. It doesn't make you a bad person. It doesn't mean you're going to do anything rash. Mm. And so what we try to do, in addition to all of the training, all of the stress reduction, is kind of just normalize the ideas that people are having in their head that, 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 that might sound negative to them. And so that, that's another portion of how we integrate ACT into parent training, especially for children who have been diagnosed with a developmental disability. Okay, thanks, DJ. Uh, we have just a couple more points here. We're getting towards the end of the program. Um, what about parents who are divorcing? I think... DJ and I actually, in the past when we worked together, uh, were part of a program in our area. Um, it was a basically a, a class called Project Protect, and it was a court-mandated parenting class that focused on helping parents help their families get through divorce. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think in working with those people, we noticed, obviously, parents who are divorcing face similar struggles as any other parents dealing with misbehavior with their kids. But they also have that added stress of the changing family situation, separating financially, and, and of course, their children even reacting poorly to the changes. So I found that when I was actually implementing the program, I found that incorporating elements of ACT was especially important for these parents in helping them become obviously more more mindful about how their reactions affect their kids, acceptance of, of the thoughts and feelings that are the normal struggles of a divorce, and also um, kind of detaching from unhelpful thoughts about their ex-partner, especially that, that can affect their kids. And so I think most important of all of that is recognizing what is most important in their lives, which is their relationship with their kids, and then kind of to help start 
acting in ways uh, that promote that value instead of getting totally lost and sidetracked by the stress of a divorce. Okay, so so you're, we're talking about values here. Uh, so actually, parents would should be able to lift themselves up up over the uh, who's right and wrong and whose money the issues and and really concentrate on the overarching value of what's best for the kids. Is that? Yeah. That is the optimum aim in, in what we're trying to do. Okay. So tell, tell me what – we've got Christmas coming up and New Year's, and a lot of people are going to be at home. What advice would you to give parents who are listening right now as we go into the holiday season? Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, I could probably talk for a very long time on how to have a, a good holiday season, whether you celebrate Christmas, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, or any of the other you know holidays – a lot of folks like to give gifts and uh, and really you know indulge their children and, and there's a lot of, of uh, um, there's a there's a lot of pressure put into having a great holiday you know and what I think might be helpful is if we realize that these holidays are, are actually a celebration of community family mm-hmm. they're about love and peace and when we get too caught up in perfection of the holiday or overconsumption, it actually takes away from the value and worth of that particular holiday. I mean, in, in each tradition, whether it's Christmas, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, in each tradition, there's a spirit of family, unity, and peace. Don't ruin it by trying to make it perfect. <laughs> let it be what it is be with your family and, and getting involved in overconsumption is you know it just it just becomes so much so so far away from what the season is truly about that that sounds good thank you very much dj and thank you for melissa for joining us today on today's program thanks for having us joanne yes thank you. you've been listening to dr dj moring the founder of founder and executive director of the Mid-American Psychological Institute, and Melissa Rowland, a clinical fellow at the same institute in Chicago. Uh, DJ is a recognized ACT trainer and, as I said before, a board member of the Association for Contextual Behavior Science. And he and Melissa have been working with parents on ACT-based parent training for several years. So read more about uh, DJ and Melissa and... DJ's book, Act in Practice, by going into uh, clicking on their names on this week's radio program on webtalkradio.net. What we've learned today is some ACT principles in parenting that may be helpful in the holiday season to keep in mind what's important in this holiday season of, of being together and valuing relationships and Uh, keeping that in mind. So thank you for joining us today. Thank you for joining us today. For more information about Joanne, please see her website at joannedahl.com or click on the host website button in front of you on the webtalkradio.net page. You may also see her books, The Art of Science of Valuing in Psychotherapy, Living Beyond Pain, Using Acceptance and Commitment Therapy to Ease Chronic Pain, Acceptance and Commitment Therapy for Chronic Pain, 
values in action, and epilepsy, a behavior medicine approach to assessment and treatment in children. All of these are found easily by clicking the cover or going to Amazon.com. We hope you'll join us again soon for another episode of ACT, Taking Hurt to Hope. 